Well, take your Bibles tonight and turn to Philippians. We're going to start in chapter one, then we'll read right into chapter number two. If you join me there, Philippians chapter number one, we'll begin in verse number 27. And then we'll read right into our text here tonight. And I'll draw attention to the two verses that will be our focus. Uh, pray for the Landys. They've moved their departure date back uh, to the 29th. I believe it is, and we're going to have a sending service for them on the 26th. So please pray for them. Obviously, a lot of things up in the air right now for missionaries in many different ways. So keep praying uh, that way, if you would, please. All right, uh, Philippians chapter number one, and let's begin reading. Just follow along in verse number 27. And um, because this really works as a unit, chapter 1, verse 27, all the way through chapter 2 and verse 18 is a unit in this letter from Paul to the Philippian believers. Paul writes, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So let your behavior, conversation would be the way that you act, the way you conduct yourself. Make sure it matches up with who you are in Christ. That's, that's simply what he's saying there. You are not just a citizen of Philippi uh, or of Rome living in Philippi. You are a citizen of heaven living in Philippi. And so be mindful of that, he says to them. Then notice verse number 27, because as we get to our text, you're going to see some, some similarities there. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast, in one spirit, with one mind, striving how? Together. together. There it is. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of partition, but to you of what? Salvation. And that of God. Namely, your salvation is of God. All right. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. And then he shows the way to unity in verses three and four. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now that'll make a church family work right, Amen. right there. That verse and the one following verse four, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In other words, come to church and be thinking about others, not just about yourself. Think of others. I wonder where you could find an example of that. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, our supreme example. And then he describes. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became, what's the next word? 
obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore? Notice that connecting word there, so important. Wherefore? So then, wherefore, my beloved? Wherefore, my beloved? As ye have always, what's the next word? Obeyed. obeyed. Verse 8, who obeyed back up in verse 8 of chapter 2? He was obedient. The Lord Jesus Christ, right? He was obedient, so you be obedient, right? As ye have always obeyed, notice this, this will sound a lot like chapter 1 and verse 27. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that... He's reminded them of how important their testimony is as a church, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, against whom, I'm sorry, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice in me. All right, now we're going to really just pay attention to verse 12 and 13. I really want to try to work on verse 12 through 16. But as I got into it, I began to see there's just a lot of material right here. Okay. So we need to understand these verses, obviously, in their context and see how that this flows out of what, G, what he said about the Lord Jesus in verses 5 through 11. He says, wherefore, so we need to really take that into account. And that goes back even to the other, other parts that we read. Okay, so here's our title tonight. How you work things out depends on what is in you. How you work things out depends on what is in you. I'm going to say it one more time. How you work things out, how you work things out depends on what is in you. Your relationship with the Lord is the solution to all other relationships. Okay. How you work things out depends on on what is in you. I thought about calling it work it out to work it out, but that just sounded cheesy. <laughs> but it is the essence of it. How you work things out depends on what is in you. I hope and pray that this will be a real help, just a practical help, just like Paul intended it in the church in Philippi. I pray God will use it right here. How you work things out depends on what is in you. You may be seated.
We have a few things we need to work out between us. You ever said that to somebody or about somebody? We need, we've got a few things we've got to work out here. We've got a few things we need to work out. Maybe you've said that recently to your spouse or maybe you've said that recently about a friend or a roommate. Tonight's college night. You're about a month in. Maybe you've had a little scrape with your uh, roommates. Got to work some things out. <clears throat> I remember my Bible college experience as an RA. I had to break up a fight the first week. I thought, mercy sakes alive, right? They're on Bible college campus. They had a few things to work out, don't you know? I hope you can work things out, we might say. Just I thought about that phrase, work things out, how we work things out. Well, we hope everything's going to work out okay, right? We say that sometimes. Uh, we're going to work things out. Well, Paul knew the members in the church in Philippi, they had some things they needed to work out, which is so important, so vitally important for the well-being of a church, working things out. Along the way, if you stay in church long enough, you're going to have to work something out with somebody. <laughs> Isn't that right? If you stay in your family long enough, you'll have to work something out with somebody. If you have a friend, even one, even one, there's something you're going to have to work out. And how you work things out really depends on what is in you. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of reasons as to why maybe in the church uh, there would be things you have to work out. I, I want to stay tied to local church, though. Please understand that this message certainly would apply uh, to your relationships at home and at work and your friendships, etc. Uh, but certainly this is a local church letter. So it, we would do well to try to put it in its context and keep it in its context, because even within a church family that's that is comprised of people that are saved by the blood, that have been baptized, that are joined together in a common cause of world evangelization, there can still be differences of opinions, right? About the work and maybe differences of opinion within a ministry, or there could be frustrations. Would you imagine that? As you're going along, there's going to be frustrations that you have with somebody. And lo and behold, somebody will be frustrated with you. How do you work that out? I'm not coming to you with any uh, example here. I thought about having Brother Cope stand and Brother Seth stand and act like they've got something to work out between them. We may still do that and just have a good time with that. But um, along the way, there's going to be some kind of frustrations with somebody somewhere about something. You got frustrations. You got competition. It could be some competition just, you know, between uh, members. And so Paul is mindful of that as he's writing this letter to the to the Philippians, and he's trying to help them to work things out for the cause of Christ. How many of you would agree with this? When you are in a tense moment, do you follow what I'm saying? When you're, when you're in a tense moment, what comes out is not naturally Christ-likeness. Is anybody here that says, oh no, that just kind of comes natural to me. I, even before I was saved, I was already... <laughs> no, no. What normally comes out is lying, a bad attitude, pride, arrogance, cockiness, self-righteousness, self-protection, right? I was uh, reading Proverbs 15 today and soft answer. I read it wrong. Uh, I thought, I thought it said a short answer turns away wrath. But no, it's a short answer that'll stir it up. Being short with somebody, you know what I mean? 
It's a soft answer. I want to remind you tonight that our greatest problems are not around us, they're in us. Jim Berg pointed that out in his book, Change into His Image. Our greatest problems are not around us, they are in us. How do you work things out within a church family? How do you work things out between church members? And, and how do you work things out within, within a, a marriage relationship? How do you work things out between parents and children or grandparents and, 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 and adult children? How do you work things out there? And uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of ways that people try to go about that, but but how you work things out really does depend on what is in you, and so that really means then we've got to be careful about what is in us. Amen. Okay. The mind of Christ. Paul has uh, emphasized the mind of Christ in chapter two and beginning in verse number five. And he was concerned about them. They were concerned about him. He's writing to them that they might be of the same mind, um, that they might be like minded, they have the same love one for another, that there be no schism within the body. But evidently there was there was some self-interest that had crept in some wrong ways of thinking that had come into the church family. And and, and so there wasn't the unity that maybe that there once was and and really that there needed to that there needed to be. And and, and so we've we've looked at this a few weeks now and. Even with this in mind that at Southwest Baptist Church, as much as I thank God for the unity that is here, it's not like we've reached some kind of a plateau where we can just kind of put it into neutral and just think, oh yeah, we're pretty unified. No, we really need a greater sense of unity within our church family. And we certainly need to protect that which God has given us. So we need the right attitude. In fact, Warren Wiersbe said this, the kind of rivalry that pits Christian against Christian and ministry against ministry is not spiritual, neither is it satisfying. So if that's what was going on, it wasn't spiritual, nor was it satisfying. And then he just gets right to it when he says, listen, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, and then he begins to describe how that although he, his name is above every name, he was willing to come and serve among us. And he took on him the, the likeness of sinful flesh and though without sin, and, and he became obedient unto death even the death of the cross and the idea that Paul is getting across there, if he was willing to be obedient even to the death of the cross, surely we should be obedient and willing to be obedient in lesser matters. So he's pointing that out for them and, and how that he whose name was above every name was willing to serve others. Certainly tonight, you though, regardless of who you are, you ought to be willing to serve anybody in this church family. And if he poured himself out for us, then beloved, we ought to be willing to pour ourselves out for one another. And Paul is making that point with the Philippians. And, and so then uh, in verse number 12, he says, wherefore, my beloved, and you can see that he's got a real concern for them and a real love for them. In fact, look over at chapter four and verse number one, just to see the type of heart that Paul had. As we think about even the term, my beloved, he says, therefore, my beloved, I'm sorry, my brethren, dearly beloved. Do you see that? Chapter four and verse one, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for. I'm telling you, church, he, he had a real love for this church. He wanted to see them doing well, of course. And so he says, wherefore, so then, or for this reason. He says, uh, he's getting to it. It's going to take him a while to get to his main point here. But the idea is this, if, if Christ 
carried out the Father's will to the point of dying on the cross, they should be willing to carry out the Father's will in doing what it takes to have unity in the church. What, what might that involve? Well, certainly it would involve asking forgiveness, giving forgiveness. How about this one? Listening to the other person's point of view rather than using their talk time as the opportunity to formulate your own, your next uh, point. Checking your motive for service, thinking of others rather than just self. Basically, when you boil it down, if, you just, if we would just practice verses two through four, then we'd have good, strong unity here within the church. Um, as Paul gets into verses five through 11, and he's presenting the example of Christ, he's not just giving us an example to admire, but rather an example to follow. We're called to be Christ-like. He was obedient. We're to be obedient. Um, you know, I thought about it this way. Somebody maybe would be into golf and they'd go to watch, you know, maybe part of the PJ Tour or, or some other uh, golfing event. And they see their favorite uh, person playing golf there. And man, they're, they're just amazing. They make it look so easy. I mean, they really do. They make it look like, you know, you can go out there to top golf and just do it yourself, you know. But every time I've gone, it's just... <laughs> there you are, you're admiring, you know, your favorite golfer and... and but you know in your heart and mind, at least if you're me, you know I'll never be able to hit the ball like that. But here's the example of Christ, and not only are we to be inspired by it and agree that it's the right way, we're actually all called upon to be just like him. Wherefore, he says, uh, wherefore, my beloved... As you've always obeyed, as you've always been submissive to this in my presence, I tell you, they, they, have, they had such a regard for Paul and such a love for Paul that if Paul was present there with them, I believe they would immediately work things out. But Paul was not able to be with them. And so watch this. The level of their obedience should not be dependent on whether Paul is present or absent. Your obedience and my obedience should not be dependent on people. It ought to be dependent on what we see in Christ and what he expects of us. If we only obey, listen to this. If we only obey when there's outward pressure to obey, it's not in the heart. Everybody catch that? If you only obey when there's this outward pressure to obey, then it's not really in the heart. It's just that outward pressure, those expectations that are causing you to be accountable because if, if, that, if that person wasn't there or if you weren't under those um, expectations, then you may not act that way. But if you have a right relationship with the Lord, then you'll act that way regardless of who's around. Your personal reception of the gospel calls for your personal obedience to Christ. Uh, I, I think about this. Um, in fact, let me, let me just read this quote by Warren Wiersbe when he said this. Too many Christians obey God only because of the pressure on the outside, not the power on the inside. Too many Christians obey God only because of the pressure on the outside, not because of the power on the inside. 
young people, let me encourage you here tonight. Don't just be obedient to your parents when you're at home. Be obedient when you're at school or when you're at church or when you're at a friend's house or when you're away at college. When you have your own home. Many people stopped being faithful to Christ during leadership changes. They were faithful while a certain person was their pastor, a certain person was their uh, youth pastor or their college and career director or their Sunday school teacher. But when that person is gone, then their faithfulness is gone. I submit to you that's a man-centered faithfulness. It's got to go beyond that and that to Christ. If what you've been taught is biblical, it's just as biblical when you're on your own. So Paul says, I want you to obey in this. I want you to, to do this, to be submissive to this, just as if I were present, because really your obedience shouldn't be dependent on whether I'm present or absent. Because faith in Christ is expressed in obedience to Christ. And so that's where he gets down to it. So look back at verse number 12 again, as he says, wherefore, and he's drawing from what he has said in the previous verses, wherefore, given this example of Christ, who was obedient unto death, who did this, who was obedient unto death, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now also much more, he says, it needs to be even be more evident in, your, in my absence. And that's going to be a mark of your Christian maturity that you're carrying this out, even though somebody is not, not around to make sure that you will. I mean, that point alone will preach. But then he says this, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. Now, now where is he going with this? Or maybe we should rather ask, where has he been? Because the reason I took the time to go back and to read verse 27 of chapter one and following is because this whole unit is, is focused on them having unity within a church and have the right relationship with one another and not being full of themselves or in what we saw in verses three and four, not pursuing vainglory or, or, or pride and arrogancy and all those things that are there in verses three and four. But he says, work out your own salvation, work it out. Work it out. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean you have to try to be saved? Well, of course not. I mean, that would contradict everything else that Paul says in all the epistles. It's not that you work out your salvation like Jesus did this much and you've got to do this much of your salvation. That's not it at all. Because if, if even, watch this, even if it was just a little sliver of you doing some of the work, then if you did any, any sliver, any little bitty bit of the work for your salvation, then it is no more of grace and it is now suddenly of works. So I submit to you, based even on what Paul has said here, that it is all of grace that ought to motivate us then to work. So he says, work out your own salvation. Let me just hit some of the points within the, the text itself that demonstrate that this is not Paul saying, uh, you, need to, you need to work out, like finish your salvation. Because you didn't save yourself and it's not up to you to keep yourself saved. He's writing to believers, uh, chapter, four, chapter 1 and verse 1. They are saints. So it's obvious the context of this is that it is believers and he's saying, wherefore, work out your salvation. He's already referred to the time in chapter 1 and verse number 5, how that they heard the gospel and became they came into fellowship with the gospel. So it's evident there in 1.5 that, that they're saved. 1.6, he's confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, listen, you're saved and you won't lose your salvation, but there's something you need to work out here. 
All right. He's already described their salvation as a work of God. That's the reason we read chapter one and verse number 28. He talks about their salvation, which is of God. Is everybody following along with this? Just, just, just laying the groundwork right here. Chapter two and verse number 15. He refers to them as the sons of God and the lights of the world. He would refer to them as the sons of God if they weren't saved. So obviously they are saved. And they are the lights of the world, light of the world. And so thus uh, they are saved. So this, the context of this verse is even the context here itself is not how to be saved, but rather this, how to act after you've been saved. So he says work out. So what, what does work out mean? Work out your own salvation. Well, the idea here is you bring it to its finish, its completion, not, not in the sense that you are to add something to it, but rather this, apply everything that it means to be saved to your Christian life. The same word is actually used. This is helpful as I studied it out uh, once again. Romans chapter 7 and verse number 18, Paul writes, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Can anybody say amen right there? In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will, listen to this, to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Okay, the word perform. The word perform there is the same word that we have translated in, in Philippians chapter two, where it says, work out your own salvation, perform in Romans chapter number seven. So he says, to will is present with me, but... Here, if I could say it this way, I really want to do right. But when I go to do right, I have a hard time working that out. I have a hard time performing that. I have a hard time carrying that to its completion. So what are you saying? Well, Paul's not talking about them working out their salvation in the sense of trying to be saved more. But it's more of this. The fact that you're saved and in Christ and all that. Okay, wait a minute. Hang on. Hang on. Let me, let me back up here. If there's something you're supposed to work out regarding your salvation, that means at the time of your salvation and since that time, given verse 13 especially, there's something that God works in you that needs to be worked out when you got to work something out. Because the context here, is everybody still following this? The context here is that there's something you got to work out with somebody else that's in the church. So when you got to work something out, then what you got to work out is what God worked in you and that's in your salvation. So what did God work into you? Well, we're going to get to that here in just a moment. If you bear with me here, just, just a moment. I, I want to read this quote. I think it'll help us to transition into that. A great deal of unnecessary ink has been spilt over this passage. Says one gentleman, as to whether salvation has to do with the individual believer or the corporate life of the community or of the church. The, the context makes it clear that this is not a passage about salvation per se. In other words, he's not telling people how to get saved. He's telling saved people how to live now that you are saved. That's it. And so given that, he means this, stop squabbling. Stop quarreling. Stop fighting. Stop murmuring. He's going there with it. I just didn't, couldn't get that far in study because there's just too much here in these two verses. Don't do things with murmuring. Don't do things with disputings. In other words, stop fighting among yourselves. You are a church. 
You've been saved by the grace of God. And there are things that God has worked in you that even in the heat of the moment, it ought not be the flesh that's coming out in your church family, destroying their testimony, ruining your reputation in the community and causing dissension among the believers. But it ought to be what God has worked in you that ought to be coming out of you. And so he says, work out your salvation, indicating this. It's not going to be natural for you when you have a, a problem with somebody, whether it's your spouse or, or whoever it is, it's not going to be easy for you to, to get in the right frame of mind to say the right things and to do the right things and that's why you got to work it out. Work it out. Work is hard. Work is hard. There's a lot of people not wanting to work today. They need to get up off the couch and work. Do something. Paul is saying, listen, don't just go along with what your feelings are. Work out what's been worked into you. So what's that going to look like? Work out your salvation. It's interesting. I'm going to work a little bit more on the word. Work out your salvation. The idea is work to its full completion. Work, it's actually used, Warren Wiersbe said again, this was very helpful, that it was used about a mine. A mine like a, a, where you're mining ore or minerals or precious stones or you're, you're mining that stuff out. And, and so like in Marble, Colorado, it's only that location and then a place in Italy is the only two locations that has the white marble. In fact, uh, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier comes from Marble, Colorado. It's the largest uh, marble slab that has been transported like that. The, the pillars, uh, I believe on the Lincoln Memorial, are from Marble, Colorado. They mined those things out. I mean, it's actually pretty overwhelming, those of you that have been there, when you see these big old trucks coming down the hill or back in the 1800s as they're bringing this down by train or by horse. And, and I mean, it's really dangerous work. But listen, what was in there was worth the effort to get out. And what is in you by salvation is worth the effort to get out. It's, it's in there not because it was in you before you got saved, but it's in you because he saved you and put it in you. But I'll tell you what will naturally come out, a bunch of junk. But if you'll understand who you are in Christ and let him work that out of you, then that same situation when you got to work something out with somebody, instead of all the junk that comes out, actually there can be forgiveness that comes out because that was worked into you at salvation. Does everybody listen to this? Is this making sense right here? Worked into you at salvation was an unwavering Sense and understanding that we can't waver on sin. I'm telling the cross of Christ, and that's what he used in Philippians chapter 2 is the cross of Christ. And he went to the cross, never wavering on the, on the sinfulness of sin, the wickedness of sin. And so when you deal with problems that are between you and another person, it's not like we just kind of compromise and, and just kind of get slippery on sin and just kind of let things slide. No, there's some times when you have to confront sin, or there's times when you have to confront sin in your own self, and you say, Listen, when I I said this, when I did this, this was wrong. When you said this, when you did this, then this was wrong and here's how it affected my life. I'm telling you, there are things we have to confront if we're gonna work things out in light of our salvation. See, and that won't come natural. 
So Paul is saying, listen, I care enough about you to say to you, listen, you need to work this out between you. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, an attitude like, like this. This is serious business. Fear and trembling, this is serious business. I, I can't take this lightly. I mean, if we don't get this relationship right, if we don't, if we don't reconcile, are you listening to me here tonight? If we don't reconcile in this relationship, if you don't reconcile in that marriage, if you don't reconcile in that friendship at church, this is serious business and it deserves fear and trembling in this sense. I got to do this under God's authority here. Work of mine, get out what is valuable. Work of field, actually, it's also used outside the world of the Bible, this same word about, about working in the harvest field and how that they, they wouldn't just, they wouldn't leave, leave produce in the field. They'd work hard to get it out. In other words, like one man said, they are told to work it out in this sense, to put into practice in their daily living what God had worked in them by the Holy Spirit. Put into daily practice. Bottom line is basically this. Act like a Christian. When you got to work something out with somebody, act like, well, hang on, let me, let me say it more clearly here. Act like who you are in Christ. Not who you were before Christ. They were having trouble in the church because evidently they were acting like they were prior to salvation. Paul is saying, you're saved. You need to act like it. Stop messing up church unity. And they would need to do this individually. And that individually dealing with this would be a solution for the whole church family. And the same thing is true in your relationships. You can't control how other people are acting about this matter, whatever it is that's troubling your unity. But you can control how you're responding. And the greatest problems are not around you. You say, oh, yes, they are, because I'll tell you what they did right here. In fact, if you want another handful of them, I can tell you what they did. How about this? How about just look right here and see where you haven't handled things in a Christ-like way. And, and obey the Lord regardless of what they do. I wonder if that'd work. I believe it will. In fact, the problem in the church could only be solved if they individually acted in obedience to what God said to do. In other words, if they would live consistently with their salvation. So look at verse number 13. How things are going to work out, how you're going to work things out rather, I'm sorry, how you're going to work things out depends on what is in you. All right, so look at verse 13. This is, is very encouraging. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, verse 12. For it is God which worketh in you. Both, is that what it says? Both to will and to do 
of his good pleasure. What, what, is that, what does that mean? That means this. God's work, if you're saved tonight, God's working in you. And you obviously, the point in that is that, yes, God's doing his part, but we must cooperate with him. God worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, God will give you the desire to do right and the ability to do right. The desire to do right and the ability to do right. Okay, which makes perfect sense. Here's why. Because in our flesh, I don't have the desire to do right, nor do I have the ability to do right. So I live the Christian life and you live the Christian life the same way that you got it through Christ. He gives the desire. Now, I, I, obviously, we have a free will that either cooperates with that or it doesn't. Or we don't. But God is working in us. What he works in us, he wants to work out of us. In fact, I love this. One more quote here. Listen to this. The Christian life is not a series of ups and downs. It's rather a process of ins and outs. The Christian life is not a series of ups and downs, but a rather, rather this, a process of in and out. God works in and we work out. To do what? To do his good pleasure. What would be in this context his good pleasure? Brothers and sisters getting along in the church family. Brethren, how good it is when brethren dwell together in unity. I'm saying tonight that given this text, you can work things out with others. If you let God work in you what he wants to work out of you. And so how things work out really does depend on what is in you. Well, what did salvation work into them? What did salvation work into them that would help them work things out? Well, even if you just kind of glance back over chapters, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, given the example of Christ and the fact that we received Christ, Jesus, as Savior, it'd be easy to see and to say, Christ came and exemplified because he was humble, exemplified humility. So salvation, when we receive Jesus through the Holy Spirit of God working in us, is everybody still following me right here? Amen. Through the Holy Spirit of God working in us, he works in us something we didn't have before, and that would be this, humility. which is the understanding that I don't always have to be the one that's right here. And I can respond as I'm working things out in humility to say, you know, help me see that. He works humility in us. I see in verses 5 through 11 in the example of Christ, submission. You know, it's only by pride that comes contention. It's only when I say, no, I'm not doing that. I don't like that. I don't think you know what you're talking about. Oh, really? 
well. Do you hear it? It's not the sound of humility. Not the sound of submission. It's the sound of, I'm going to have things my way. But the example of Christ is compassion. Compassion for sinners. Again, not condoning sin, but compassion. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I see also sacrifice. And then ultimately, as Paul is emphasizing here, I see service. And how that he humbled himself and became the servant, even to death, yea, even the death of the cross. How you work things out really depends on what is in you. Let me ask you this tonight. Okay, whatever, maybe, maybe this is a sermon that you just take and you file it for another day because you don't have any problems with anybody. But if you have any problems with anybody, let me ask you, how would it help that situation if tonight or tomorrow you responded with humility, submission, a right and godly stand against what is wrong? If you responded with compassion, if you asked forgiveness or you finally gave forgiveness. If you were willing to sacrifice and if you were willing to serve, I wonder if that would help things work out. I believe it would. And that's what Paul is saying. Follow his example. But not just follow his example. He lives within you to help you do this. Everybody catch that? It's not me living that does that. It's Christ living in me. And things will work out between you and somebody else depending on what's in you. And if he's in you, and most evident, regardless of what the other person does or will do, on your part, you are biblically working things out. Father, tonight... I know we need to apply this to the relationships of our lives between friends, co-workers, fellow church members, husbands and wives. Parent and children relationships. Lord, we uh, understand that being in church does not exempt us from the ugliness of life, but you give us the power within to respond according to the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to work out, just like Paul said here, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, to apply 
to dig deep into what it means to be a true biblical Christian and to live that out in the scenarios and situations of life now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together here tonight.